Welcome back, everyone, to the Drink and Learn podcast. I am drinks historian Elizabeth Pierce. And I'm bartender Abigail Gullo. Once again, we're coming to you from a beautiful studio room here at the old number 77 hotel in beautiful, beautiful, beautiful New Orleans, Louisiana. I love the weather this time of year. It sure is pretty. It's it not really what most pretty. people would think of as fall. Um, no. It's really more like no longer summer. Yeah. Yeah, it's no longer summer, but not quite fall. Yeah, because I'm still wearing shorts. Mm-hmm. I'm still biking to work in a t-shirt. Right. It's really kind of nice. So it's our fall. Um, yeah, so today we are going to talk about a drink that creates a lot of divisiveness. Mm-hmm. And this drink is called the French 75. This drink is also, I think, one of those essential New Orleans drinks. Mm. Why do you say that? Because it's one of the drinks that, you know, is the, was kept alive during the Dark Ages. It was always made here. And it always was associated here when the rest of the world didn't even know what a cocktail was anymore. It was still being made here and made well. And I think that's really important. It's one of those those that canon of drinks, of New Orleans drinks. When people go to New Orleans, sometimes... These are the first cocktails they ever have. Mm-hmm. Drinks like the Sazerac, the Hurricane, the Pimm's Cup, and the French 75. Even though the last two were not created here. No, nope, not necessarily. It right. doesn't mean they don't have provenance here, but they absolutely are essential New Orleans cocktails. So essential. I don't know if I ever told you the story. Before I lived here. You did, but you, but you should tell it anyway, because it's a really good story, okay. and uh, it totally goes with New Orleans. Okay. I want you, I, and I want you, the listeners, to understand how important this cocktail is to New Orleans and to me personally. So I was sitting at the bar, one James Beard Award-winning bar named Cure. This was well before they won the award. This is about 10 years ago. And I'm sitting there with their proprietor, Kirk, who had just gotten married, and uh, just finished his first Tales of the Cocktail, I believe. And I biked up there on a hot, hot summer day in July to sit at his bar in the afternoon and have some of his drinks and got into a conversation with him and talked about how I wanted to move to New Orleans, but you know maybe we could do some sort of bartender exchange program because I just wanted to see if I wanted to live and work in New Orleans and if I could do it. And I get interrupted. <clears throat> And I turn and look, and down at the end of the bar, there's a gentleman just out of central casting, like, like some um, southern lord. He walks, walks over to me in his three-piece linen suit, like looking like Atticus Finch. And I believe he, he was a judge of some sort. Yeah. And he said, pardon me, ma'am, but I, did I just hear that you intend to bartend in New Orleans? And I was like, yes, sir, I I hope to one day. He said, well, I have one question for you. I order a French 75. What do you say? And I thought for a moment, and I panicked for a moment, and then I said, oh, yeah, Um, would you like that with cognac or gin? And he said, correct. You may now bartend in New Orleans. (laughs) So... So I think I think it was like the bartender equivalent of the DMV. <laughs> it was like it you, was. You passed. You passed. <laughs> and what I loved about it is it really kind of to me spoke volumes about the, the the way the craft was appreciated here in New Orleans. Is that 
the French 75 is a cocktail that has this you know back and forth is it made with cognac or gin and a lot of places just automatically make it with gin and i love that here in new orleans it is like no which what there are two which do you prefer and we kind of put put the question back and i love it when i get people who aren't from here and they're like oh you can make it with cognac and i'm like it is the preferred way of some yes well it's all about hospitality isn't it it is indeed it's not about the pronouncements of the bartender it is about the preference of the guest Mm -hmm. although we are totally going to get into some pronouncements of bartenders yes we are in particular (laughs) um but before we get into uh the drink you should know what the drink is named for and um so it it is created Let's just gonna let's say it's gonna it's created right after World War One mm-hmm. or named after World War One, and it's named for a gun that the French used, which was the seventy five, and I can't say some I can say seventy five in Spanish, uh, pretty well, but I'm gonna try. It's the, it's like the soixante quinze. Um, I hope that's seventy five in French, and it was an advanced piece of artillery. That was used in the open field, and it was deadly, deadly fire. And it could fire 15 rounds per minute, which was uh, tremendously fast at that time. And with four guns in a battery, if they were all used at once, they could effectively spray a field 100 meters wide with over 15,000 projectiles in a single minute. And that was just transformative in war. World War I was really the a new kind of war. Mm-hmm from what everyone had been used to. Um, so this, this drink is named for that gun because supposedly it had the same kick as that gun. Mm-hmm. Now, I would hope that a drink would not... Um, Be so would, deadly. Yeah, I mm-hmm. was going to say would not shoot 15,000 projectiles into me, not even metaphorically. That's actually pretty scary when you put it that way. Imagine these young men facing this kind of horror and this kind of death to have the wherewithal to be like I'm going to name a champagne drink after this gun to lessen the gun the the power of the gun and the power of fear. Mhm. Well, how interesting. Yeah. Well, I but I think that what what um happened after World War 1 was there was a tremendous amount of disillusionment. Um there was this, you know, men young men went into the war well, the same way young men have gone into lots of wars with the, oh, it's only going to last, you know, we'll be home by Christmas kind of mm-hmm. thing. But um, all social order really got turned on its head. Indeed it um, did. Women were participating in, you know, assisting um, on the battlefield, driving ambulances, all of that. Like, way, way, with Claire, I mean, Claire Barton during the Civil War and Florence Nightingale during the Crimea, like, those women did great work and introduced um, the ability for women to nurse, you know, to, to participate in some way. But it's really World War One when women are wearing the pants and doing all these things, and men are also facing a, a world order that was dis- that had disintegrated. It was disintegrated. Everything was different. And then you got the 1920s prohibition, Whee! and then Flapagos. yeah, short skirts and everybody's drinking. But, <laughs> but all that has to come out of something, and it comes out of like, what do we believe in anymore? Mm-hmm. You know, this kind of nihilistic um, attitude. So the French 75. 
um, to, to give you a little bit of what we do know, um, it, it ends up in several cocktail volumes. In 1927, there is a um, volume called Here's How, <laughs> which was, you wanted, like, how to make a drink. Here's How. Here's How. And um, by 1930, it's in the Savoy cocktail book. And you know what, Abigail? I think we've referenced this um, cocktail book a couple of times, but... Um, do you want to talk a little bit about why the Savoy Cocktail Book like mattered? The Savoy Cocktail Book was a book that brought together a lot of the recipes from one of the most stellar bars during Prohibition. Its very first head bartender was uh, a woman, uh, Ada Coleman. Ada Coleman was the first head bartender of the Savoy Hotel, and she trained Harry Craddock. Harry Craddock took over from her and ended up writing the book. So a lot of the recipes in that book are, you know, attributed to him, but they're, you know, we know at least one hanky-panky was hers. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, it's a very, it's one of those Bibles of the modern cocktail age because it stayed in print for so long. It had many, many printings. It was reprinted. It was passed on. And for the most part, the recipes are all pretty basic and still pretty delicious which um, and there's and it's a bible there's a ton of recipes which even for today is is unusual for a cocktail book to be mostly delicious (laughs) (laughs) that is sometimes a problem there's there's a lot of um well there's a lot of filler Mm -hmm. so in the savoy cocktail book book the recipe is for champagne lemon simple okay this is the consistent thing and gin Mm -hmm. so the first printing allegedly of this thing called the French 75 is a gin based cocktail that is not even so much topped with but is also also has champagne mm-hmm. as a considerable component however there's a lot of people that say hey that is not the case this drink was actually a cognac drink before it was gin. And a friend of ours, his name is Chris Hanna, and Chris uh, was behind the bar of the French 75, French 75 bar in New Orleans, for th- 15, 15 years. 15 years. Damn long time. And and also, I'm sorry, did you call him Chris Hanna? Because he f- prefers his full title now. A James Beard Award winning <laughs> Chris Hanna is how we say his name now. Um, yes, he did finally win his kind of overdue yeah. James Beard Award um, uh, this year. Yes. Oh, and this year? Oh, this past year. Uh, last year. Yeah, for those of you that are listening to this in the future. Uh, <laughs> he, he won, he, he won in, in, in 2017. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. So he wrote a little, well, I shouldn't say little, that sounds to me, he wrote a, sh- a story. Yeah, beautiful, a beautiful work of um, uh, historical fiction, cocktail mm. historical fiction. And the reason he wrote it is because he works at a bar called the French 75, mm-hmm. and people come in all the time, ordering it one way or the other, and... Oh, the standard pour, though, there is cognac. Yes. I'm actually training a bartender right now who also works at the French 75, and somebody ordered a French 75, and she just automatically started making it with cognac. And I told her the story that I told you mm-hmm. about how we always have to ask the guest. Yeah, that's a hard habit to break mm-hmm. if it's your default, and it's the drink that's the the name of your bar. The name of your bar. So yeah. uh, so Chris wrote, wrote a story, and he has graciously permitted us to read an excerpt 
of it. Um, and this, there's a great setup. It's like he's, um, well, uh, Abigail, you, sh- you should tell it. You got the paper in your hand. Well, of course, Hannah tells this work of, of fiction as if he was almost back in time, but still with our modern friends. And he was giving Harry Craddock himself a tour of um, New Orleans. And they're in his favorite bar, the Jewel of the South, with a very famous New Orleans bartender, Joseph Santini. Who we talked about yes. back when we... Talked about the Cresta and the sidecar. And there's references to that in this story as well, how he doesn't like those sidecars because he make, invented the Cresta. It's so great. It's such a great story. And actually... Um, Another little bit that you should know is that um, Chris Hanna is opening up his own bar, and it's going to be called Jewel of the South. He is taking, he's going to bring this story to life in a recreation of, of this bar that he is now saying he's sitting in with Harry Craddock. And he's, Jelly Roll Morton is, is, is playing piano in the background as, as Chris Hanna addresses um, Mr. Harry Craddock. <clears throat> Mr. Craddock, the cocktail is delicious, both with cognac and gin. But since I've been bombarded with followers of your propaganda for almost a decade now, I've had to do my research, and I found there's just too much proof that the cocktail was cognac first, and that if it was a French-American cocktail at that. For starters, it's named for an artillery weapon that the English didn't even approve of. They tested it and chose another gun, an English gun. The Americans and French put their faith behind the French 75 artillery weapon. Along with it was the French who introduced cognac de champagne to the Americans who fought with the Lafayette Escadrille, which started in 1916. You and another bartender forced me through the Allied fighter pilot memoirs over the years, and what I found is a place they flocked to on leave of duty and preferred over the Louvre Museum itself, the Hotel Chatham. But aside from that and the silly arguments, there is further proof beyond the Americans and the English that offer that the French mixed champagne with eau de vie 50 to 60 years before the war. All it took were the first Americans to create the cocktail at the Chatham Hotel, which had the American following before Harry's American bar, who claims to have created it in 1919, three years later. The French 75 was cognac first. It was always going to be. Well, something that he says in that story... I think rings true with lots of things that we have talked about on this podcast so far, which is that people have been doing a thing long before it gets a name. Mm -hmm. And so mixing eau de vie with champagne is delicious. And somebody does it and somebody else does it and says, yeah, that's pretty good. And then they keep doing it. And then eventually somebody's like, oh, we should, we should name this so people don't have to keep or, ordering a list of things. <laughs> and so you have that. You also have, um, way back in the 1880s, a champagne cup, which was sparkling sugar citrus. And people would call for a champagne cup with Tom Gin. So now you have this, this champagne mixed with the gin as well. 
as being a really old thing. Mm-hmm. And um, something that I found, and this is thanks to David Wondrich, one of the names for uh, this drink of uh, cognac and champagne, it was called the King's Peg. Mm-hmm. K-I-N-G apostrophe S-P-E-G. And in doing a little more digging, Charles Baker did his own research on the peg. Mm-hmm. And before I tell you all about what he found, tell us a little about about Charles Baker. Charles Baker was a bon vivant, kind of like a traveling Anthony Bourdain of the 1930s, 40s. He was friends with Ernest Hemingway. He was a wonderful, gifted writer. His writing is amazing. His cocktails, not so great. But he, uh, one of his books, The Gentleman's Companion to South America, uh, also na- known as uh, Jigger, Beaker, and Flask, um, became, again, one of those modern cocktail Bibles that a lot of bartenders used and poured through copies of to get recipes and ideas. Poured of, through. Poured through. <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> No, he was wonderful. He was very smart, and he he took this around-the-world cruise a few times. And on one cruise, the beginning of the cruise, he met this beautiful heiress. And by the end of the cruise, they were married, and he never really had to work again. He Mm -hmm. just wrote for fun and threw fabulous parties for all his fabulous friends. Basically, a lot of us aspire to be Charles H. Baker. Yeah, Abigail, get on that with that heiress. (laughs) So what you need to know about Peg is it was kind of a colloquialism in um, Britain for a drink, okay? And there was a, so you have the king's peg, which is the king's drink. And then in India, Rudyard Kipling refers to a drink, and it's called the king's burra peg, B-U-R-R-A dash P-E-G. And burra was, was a Hindi word that means big, or important. So now you have the King's Peg, which is a drink with um, cognac and champagne. And then you have the Burra Peg, which is like big or important. And then Charles Baker uh, invents the Maharaja Peg, which is like even bigger and showier, right? And so instead of it being like a single serving, I'm going to read you these proportions and then you're going to laugh and then you're going to have to explain to everybody why, holy crap, this is like a big drink. Okay, <laughs> so it's three ounces of cognac, well chilled, a cube of sugar, four dashes of uh, Angostura, 10 ounces of champagne, and then a twist of lime. And so in a large chilled glass, and by large it's 16 ounce glass. That's like a pint glass. <laughs> No ice, right? <laughs> Pour in the cognac served, served up in a pint glass. Because <laughs> it's chilled. Everything's supposed to be chilled. Yeah, it's so. always good for serving at parties. <laughs> See, I, I, that's why I love the man. He knows, he knows how to batch for parties. Um, but it's a, and it's a lime peel, okay? Not a lemon. Mm-hmm. So, and, and Angostura bitters, and bitter. So this, this a, isn't... It's a cocktail. Yeah, it's it's a, a cocktail. so it's, it's a champagne cocktail. But um, it does give you this sense of that there was something like the French 75 that was showing up like back in the 1880s. Apparently, Queen Victoria's son, um, Prince Albert, was a big fan of the King's Peg. Mm. So this like little winding path from champagne 
and spirit to having bitters in it, not having bitters in it. Probably the ratio of champagne to spirit goes down this like winding road. Mm -hmm. And then eventually somebody solidifies specs, even though, like you say, specs even now still change. Yes. But ultimately say like this is what the specs are. But if you are researching peg and drinks, this is what you will eventually find. Um, There is a book that was printed in the early 1800s. So it was a glossary of famous literary like terms and people. Um, So following peg, as in drink to your peg, like the entry after that is Pegasus. So just so you know, like it's listing things that you might not know, but you Mm. would come across in literature. So drink to your peg King Edgar and that was like 950 um, uh, 950 AD like before Battle of Hastings mm-hmm. and when um, England became Anglo-Saxon uh, ang- ang- well no when we were Anglo-Saxon before the invasion of the um, oh, 1066 when yeah. shit who comes over we William were- the Conqueror is William the Conqueror yeah right so who was he? He was French. The was Normans. French. The Jesus. Normans. Okay. That's right. why I said Vikings. Right. Because they were, that's what became okay. Vikings. So. Okay. So, All right. So. So this is when okay. the, the Normans so, are. Wait, wait. So, so this is, there's King Edgar. So this is before the Norman conquest. Oh. So it's before the Battle of Hastings. Okay. This is what he says. King Edgar ordered that pegs should be fastened into drinking horns at stated distances. And whoever drank beyond his peg in one draft should be obnoxious to a severe punishment. I lately had a peg tankered in my hand. It had on the inside a row of eight pins, one above another from top bottom to top. It held two quarts, so there was a gill of liquor between peg and peg. Whoever drank short of his peg or beyond it was obliged to drink to the next and so on till the tankard was drained to the bottom. So I like this. That's like the first drinking game. (laughs) Drink to your peg. That's totally what that is. That's a drinking game. And um, I did not have time or the etymological resources to go back and see, but so peg is a drink, and then you have pegs in the drink, and you have the king's peg, and, you know, peg of my heart, pegasus, it just goes on and on. <laughs> Getting peggy with it. Right. <laughs> oh my God, I think we need a drink. Yes. Let's go downstairs and make one of these drinks. And will I use gin or will I use cognac? Dun, dun, dun. Let's find out. Hi, welcome to the bar at Compare La Pen here at the old number 77 hotel. Today I'm going to make you a French 75. Now this French 75 is going to be made um, the Chris Hanna way. The French way, the proper way with cognac. So we'll go ahead and start with a a full ounce of cognac. Now I've seen different specs for this. Some people like to do a full ounce and a half. There's going to be champagne on top of this and I don't like this drink to have too strong of a kick. So I do like bring the specs down. I'd say it it depends on your glassware. We happen to have beautiful champagne flutes that are um, 
you know, not oversized. So I want that balance um, of champagne and the cocktail to be a, almost like an equal parts balance. So in order to do that, the total, um, this total cocktail is only um, two ounces. So that's one ounce of the cognac, half ounce of simple, and half ounce of lemon. And then um, with shaken, it gets another ounce of dilution. So it's three ounces of dilution and then another three ounces of champagne, and you've got a nice kind of 50-50 blend. Okay, so a half an ounce of simple syrup and a half an ounce of lemon juice, and we give this a good shake. By the way, your shaking is completely dependent on the kind of ice you use. The kind of shaker you use can also affect how much dilution you're getting. I don't know what to tell you other than um, the best you could do is practice, practice, practice until you start to get the feel about it. And once that's poured carefully into the champagne flute, we're going to top that slowly with some sparkling wine of some sort. I recommend using a nice cava. It's a nice, dry, affordable Spanish sparkling wine. Uh, If you want to splurge for something French or even champagne, go for it. Just keep it nice and dry. If you're wondering on where on the spectrum cava, cava is a little bit... uh, more, uh, not as dry as some Brut Champagne, but it's definitely more dry than Prosecco. Prosecco, which is the Italian style, is a little bit more sweet. So I find Cava is the the Goldilocks, the just right for sparkling drinks. And then we're going to garnish with one expressed lemon peel. Explain expressed lemon peel. So with a vegetable peeler, I take a peel of um, uh, uh, lemon, and I'm trying to not get a lot of the white pith when I peel it, because the white pith can lead to bitterness, especially if it sits in a drink. And I take this peel, and with the skin side down over the drink, I squeeze the edges so that the oil from the peel kind of shoots out and expresses over the top of the drink. And that adds not only a flavor element, but mm, when you lean in close to smell it, you get a beautiful floral fragrant element as well. It's your French 75, my love. Thanks. So I'm glad you made it with cognac because that's my preference. I think that's my preference too. I know. I think, you know, especially if you're not from here, Nine times out of ten, people are going to choose gin, or they're going to, or they're going to assume it should be made with gin. But I'm glad we're having this talk, so y'all out there know that we prefer cognac, and we think, and and this is there are people that argue that it is still gin, but I think it is just as delicious either way. There are some people that think it's a it's a seasonal thing, cognac in the winter, gin in the gin summer. In the summer. Mm-hmm. My mother might think that. Because that's her brown liquor in the winter, Jen, in the summer. Mm-hmm. But I, I think... Well, I think, like, just like wearing white after Labor Day, <laughs> I think rules like that are made to be broken. 
So, um, I want to see seersucker in Christmas. Well, here, actually, I have a friend here in New Orleans who says that we should, um, in New Orleans, should be able to wear seersucker starting with St. Patrick's Day because by then it's hot. Mm-hmm. Like by the time you wait until, um, was it Memorial until Day? Memorial Day, yeah. it's already been hot for a month. Mm-mm. Especially if you have to go to a wedding or something fancy. Those rules were like for Virginia Southerners. They weren't for us Southerners. Yeah. The deep, we are the deep South. And, and deep South, we, we roll by different rules. And More then, like Caribbean rules. I'm, I mean, I'm wearing white right now. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the horror. It's after, it's, but it's, oh, and, and Halloween should be the, uh, not Labor Day, Halloween. Halloween be, is the end yeah. of the season. That makes so sense. I'm still making it under the, um, but so speaking of rules, um, I think that, you, you you referenced this a little bit when you were um, making your drink, um, but that there is not quite agreement on the specs for this drink and how like if you're going to make this at home, what what are some things you want to because uh, because first of all like champagne doesn't keep, so you don't want to mess it up or you don't exactly. want to waste waste your drink. Yet another reason why I I like my specs. I like the half half one half. Um, uh, half simple, half lemon, one ounce spirit, and then the rest champagne. Because, yeah, like you said, the champagne is going to be harder to keep than the rest. Um, again, it kind of depends on your glass. If you're if you're sitting out by the pool and putting it in a pint glass with ice, then by all means, you get up those specs. Um, I kind of learned, I think, traditionally three-quarter, three-quarter, one-and-a-half, mm-hmm. and then top with champagne. If you're making that in, like, a coupe glass... That champagne is just like a little floater yeah. of champagne. And Splash. I think that really changes the drink. Mm-hmm. To me, this is a champagne cocktail. I want to I taste a lot of champagne in this cocktail. Have you had this on, on the rocks by a pool? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> so, wait. So, if you're going to do that, would you just not shake it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you could totally make it like punch style in a pitcher and then serve it like that. Okay. When, so and Then it almost it be, kind of becomes a punch, isn't it? Um, so when you say serve it like that, is that have the champagne bottle separate and people top it off with champagne or you put that in the punch? Like if you were going to batch this, how how would you do it? I would probably, um, mix it in a pitcher, uh, over ice. Mix what? Uh, I would mix simple and lemon and the cognac in a pitcher Mm -hmm. over ice. And then right before I served it, I would probably dump the bottle in the pitcher and give it a little gentle stir. And then I would just pour it into cups. Okay. That easy. Keep it easy. Right. And so then, ideally, it's all getting drunk about the same time. Yes. And then you have a spare pitcher in the back for round two. Round two. Yeah, you have a bottle chilled for round two, and you have another pitcher uh, ready to go. You just add ice and um, add the bottle of champagne. I think that a lot of people dismiss a cocktail for a party because they think like this is some because they think they have to make them one at a time and, I, and this is something that's come up a, a lot where you've suggested or we've talked about how to batch it. we even had someone um email us you know asking about that yeah um, i think it's so i mean especially you know what i do every night is basically that that's why a lot of cocktails behind the bar are batch because we're making so many cocktails for so many people mm-hmm. we can't possibly you know, not have it batched and ready to go. It would take forever for people to get drinks. 
So is this like a tip of the day? Yeah. I'd say your tip of the day is when you're throwing a party, look, if you want to have a cocktail, look for a cocktail that batches easily that you could serve. This is a wonderful example of it's almost like a punch, but you're actually serving, you know, if you're having a New Orleans themed party, you Mm -hmm. can serve this New Orleans themed drink. Just get a pitcher, fill it with ice, fill it with, and this is so easy too. You just do um, uh, two parts cognac, one part simple, one part lemon. And then um, the rest is champagne. And, you know, eyeball it. The way I made the drink just downstairs was I said about 50% of it is the cocktail with the dilution and 50% of it is champagne. Mm -hmm. So that's easy to do. Yeah. And if you want to do some math, you could do that too and it's easy. You know, I was thinking about this because we think, you know, because it's totally cognac. But like, and we talked about this in the Tom Collins episode that a Tom Collins with champagne instead of soda there's a French, French 75. 75. Mm-hmm. So, but of course, that's served uh, on ice. Right at the pool. At the pool. When, <laughs> when you just missed Tom Collins because yeah. he was looking for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so all of this is to say, like, I guess, like, don't be, af- don't be afraid, right? No, Go don't try, be afraid. Try, try your stuff. Most, most of these drinks are very simple and have those very basic proportions that make it so easy. Everyone has a measuring cup at home. You know, if you get a bottle... Um, from the liquor store, it's usually either 750 milliliters or it's a liter. So if you buy a bottle of cognac that is a liter bottle of cognac, then you know you need 500 milliliters of simple and 500 milliliters of lemon juice. Mm-hmm. And everyone has a Pyrex measuring glass. That's all you need. You don't have to need fancy jiggers or any ingredients like that. And if you're doing it to proportion-wise, you don't even need. You don't even have a measuring cup. No problem. Take your favorite coffee cup, mm-hmm. one coffee cup of simple, one coffee cup of lemon, two, two coffee, coffee cups, cups of cognac, <laughs> and then probably a whole bottle of champagne. Yeah, it's and like there we go. It's like Here's how you measure. It's like how you make rice when you're renting a, a like, or you're at Airbnb or something, and there's no measuring cup. Yeah, you make like yeah. I guess I'm not making rice in an Airbnb. You know what I mean, <laughs> folks. So champagne, uh, you use sparkling. You use some cava. Yeah. Um, so there yeah, we people- always say champagne, and you should beware. If you go into a bar and you order uh, a glass of champagne, please know that you're probably ordering a very expensive glass of wine. <laughs> we say we say champagne. We kind of throw it around. Um, champagne is is under an um, an AOC in France, which means that it is um, only a specific region of France and a specific method of winemaking can be called champagne so that tends to be very expensive it tends to be the what's known as the best but i also believe that personal preference is everything mm-hmm. i once did my father i did a blind taste test of some um, bourbons from him and i wanted him to like not know what the bottle was not know what it tasted like and i said just tell me what your favorite is to see if my dad what what his favorite bourbon? So I could tell him, oh, well, you like this really nice bourbon. No, of course he chose like the cheapest, most inexpensive bourbon. He's like, oh, this one's really good. I like this one. Like he genuinely thought it was the best. Yes, but it's also where his palate lay. Right? It's where his palate lay, you know. and it's because it's what he knows. Because mm-hmm. he's never spent more than ten dollars on a bottle of bourbon. I'm <laughs> 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 sorry. Maybe he's spent more than ten. He's he's definitely. I could tell you for sure. My father has never spent more than ten dollars for a bottle of wine. 
Okay, so not all. Of, the other thing I was going to ask about champagne, though, is not mm. only the difference, but there are, uh, there's some people who say, "Oh, you shouldn't use nice a nice product in something that's going to get mixed, or make sure you use something nice and things that are going to be mixed versus things that you're drinking straight." Well, I always I always say use something nice. I mean, I think I think I don't think you have to go for the nicest. You know, there are some more complicated champagnes that probably taste better on their own. Mm-hmm. I'd like a nice neutral sparkling wine. That's why I tend to use Cava. Because mm-hmm. like I said, it's the Goldilocks. It's right in the middle of a lot of sparkling wines. It's not a little bit on the sweet side like Prosecco. It's not too dry like some um, French sparklings. Well, this circles back to our advice the other day about um, drink, drinking well when you can. Not well, like not the from the well. <laughs> <laughs> drink, drink, drink better. Yeah, when you, yeah. When you, when when you, you can. can. Drink better. Yeah. Right. Treat yourself. Yes, and you can tell yourself that if if that's how you need to convince yourself that you deserve it. Mm-hmm. Especially with cognac. By the way, cognac also has an AOC just like champagne. Mm-hmm. Um, this drink, dare I say, might be delicious with Armagnac as well. Oh, let's go. Mm. Let's go make one of those. Mm. <laughs> Armagnac is just like uh, cognac. It's just a different region. It tends to be a little bit earthier. Yeah. It tends to have a bigger following. It's a much smaller production. A lot of the cognac you're drinking, especially from big houses, is actually coming from a whole bunch of different farms, and they blend all the eau de vie together before they age it. But if, if you can... Um, look for smaller producers, family-run producers. Look for look for old-school bottles that look a little old-fashioned. There's a great book I wrote, I read by Thad Voler called "By the Smoke and the Smell" that talks about his quest for finding unique and unusual spirits. And the whole first section of the book takes place in him going to Armagnac and Cognac. So this is actually a, a teeny tiny teaser for what's going to be our season two. When we talk, we're, we're going to answer some of the questions that we've been getting about spirits mm-hmm. and um, and explaining about, like, cognac versus Armagnac and what Scotch is brandy. Irish. Yeah, and whiskey versus whiskey. Whiskey one, versus whiskey one parts one, two, and three. <laughs> and there'll be lots of, I'm sure we'll get some angry um, tweets. It's not a, it's not a successful podcast unless somebody disagrees no one's with gonna you get about... angry with us we're very open about a lot of things well no there, there are people who believe like i wouldn't be surprised if we get some tweet or about whatever it. Oh. about that it's always me with jen it's supposed to be jen yeah well, that's yeah. okay and i that's fine because we're saying make it however you want yes, but we yeah. but we prefer but we prefer this the cognac yeah and you um, know don't trust our amazing palates yes you have a terrible palate of your own <laughs> I, I kid of course i kid oh my gosh uh, so you should go make a french 70 you could do both right do like make do the do our taste test yeah. do the gin maybe, versus maybe, the cognac maybe you'll be like elizabeth's mom and prefer summertime gin french 75s right. and winter warming cognac <laughs> you know when it drops down below 70 here right. in new orleans <laughs> oh my god i gotta go get a sweater <laughs> my god i need where's my gloves it's 69 degrees i'm freezing <laughs> 
So wherever you are, if you are in fact freezing, because I know that it's like snowing in places where people are listening to us. Oh, we're so sorry about that, guys. We have some people, visit. We have some people in Norway, in Sweden. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Please, Hi, Norway. This is a great time to come to New Orleans. <laughs> uh, yeah. So wherever you are, go make this. Tell mm-hmm. us what you think. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're happy to, you know, hear from Team Gin and Team Cognac. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, yeah, tag us, send us some photos. So, in fact, th- so this is how you can find us. So I am at Drink and Learn across all the social medias. And if you hashtag Drink and Learn, Drink and Learn podcast, then we will be able to uh, find you and like and comment on all the things that you share. And I am at NYC Baby on Twitter, and my name Abigail Gullo G U L L O at um, Instagram. Yes, so we want to hear from you. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, please tell anybody, however you like to tell them, whether it's uh, the interwebs, in person, mm-hmm. a paper airplane, and yes, and please come visit visit us in New Orleans. Um, uh, there's a wonderful tour called Drink and Learn that Elizabeth <laughs> does through the French Quarter. And um, I'm, I've got cocktails all over this town and cocktail friends all over this town. You can go see um, the many James Beard award-winning Chris <laughs> Hannes and Kirk Gestapinos. And, and all those other folks. Neil Bodenheimers. And get down here for Tales of the Cocktail. Yes. Oh, my gosh. It's in the middle of summer. You want You want to talk about heat. Yes, a perfect time for a French 75 on the rocks. (laughs) By the pool. (laughs) And on that note, uh, we wish you well and come back and come back, come up and see us sometime or something like that. (laughs) Cheers, y'all. Cheers.